Welcome to Stu's EV Universe, where you can find anything and everything electric vehicle. Today we have the pleasure of having Todd Jackson, team manager of God of Dill Soul, uh, Kentucky Solar Car Team. Thank you for joining us, Todd. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I've known about the program for a while, and uh, I mean, can you give us a little bit of the history of, uh, you're at the University of Kentucky, and uh, can you tell us a little bit about the history of, of the solar car program there? Yeah, sure, so our team was started in 1999 by a few students. The solar car races, which is what we participate in, those have been going on since the 80s, but we started our team in 1999, we have been going continuously since then. We have built six cars so far, six solar power vehicles, and we race these during the summer uh, in various national competitions against other schools like MIT and uh, Georgia Tech and Stanford and people like that. Now, how many people are involved, and is it all students, or are there faculty involved? We have, it's mostly students, so students run all, most of the engineering. We have advisors. So we will talk to them. We also talk to faculty to help us uh, with various technical issues if we have those. And they, they also just provide general advice and help us work with the university if we need to get things done, like paperwork fed through the university because we have to get paperwork submitted. We have about, um, in terms of students, about 40 people, I'd say. Wow. And that number, that number fluctuates a lot, I would say, over the, over the course of the semester. So, you know, with finals and exams, that, that number will, will get higher, sometimes get lower. I'd say a solid 20 members throughout. But, you know, beginning of the year and at some meetings, we'll have 30 to 40 people as part of the organization. What kind of majors um, are we talking about? It is, is it all engineers? Uh, is it sort of heavy on one thing? Uh, is it open to everybody? We, we keep it open to everyone. But it is, it is mostly, since it's such an engineering project, it is mostly engineers, especially mechanical, electrical, and computer science members, with mechanical people making up, I would say, probably half of our team, because that's uh, where a lot of the work has to go. We also have a whole business media team, and so that is a major that we, we literally anyone can be a part of, just anyone with an interest in business or media. That's where we get a lot of our business majors, accounts, just graphic design, just really whatever for whoever's interested in the stuff we do. Now, is there a, you know, you said it was, you know, formed several years ago. Is there a general ob objective uh, for this, you know, uh, activity for, for, for doing this? Uh, I know it's a team, so you have races. What are some of the motivations behind this? Just so I'm clear, is this, when you say motivations, is this personal for us or just in terms of like the wider world and electric vehicles and solar power vehicles? Yes, all of that. Just all? Okay, perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of people join in the beginning because, you know, in school you're looking for, especially as an engineer, you need that, that experience just in an engineering thing, something that you can actually get hands-on experience with. So a lot of people come with that motivation in the beginning, but a lot of people stay for the people and because, you know, you build a car, so it's cool. I think wider world, something that I, at least for me, the reason I stay is I think solar car, solar car racing is really cool because it forces us to, they, so they'll limit a lot of our energy consumption. And, you know, during the races, we're only allowed to run our vehicle 
on solar energy. And so we're presented with a unique challenge, which is that we have to figure out how to really squeeze every last drop of energy out of this vehicle so it's hyper efficient and we are running it super efficiently just in general of how we drive it. And so we have to figure out ways to design a very efficient car because we are limited in our energy consumption that we're allowed to have. And I think that that's something that is just generally useful, especially for electric vehicles, because you look at like people concerned about range and all these things, but like some of the research being done in aerodynamics and especially with solar vehicles, they look very interesting because they're very, very, very aerodynamic. And that's something for electric vehicles that like Tesla has very aerodynamic vehicles, but I really like the solar car challenge because it forces us to really see how much we can get out of, of a small amount of energy, which I think will be very useful as we move towards electric vehicles and more production of those. For those that haven't seen something like this, can you describe what it looks like? I can. It's going to be interesting. I think there's a few. So we have a solar cars take some main shapes. There's a few main shapes. I'd say there's three main shapes of a solar car nowadays. It used to be kind of crazy back in like the 90s. People were going, making the most weirdly shaped things. But nowadays you have what is known, what our current car is, is, is called a monohull. It kind of... If you look at it from the side, it looks like an airfoil, so an ideal airfoil, which is, again, getting back to aerodynamics. So it's a very thin, like, airplane wing-shaped thing with just some fairings that come down just to cover the wheels, but it's very thin, and you have just a, like, thin a bucket, I guess, was is what you could call it, like a belly pan, which is where the driver will sit, and this, this very small canopy windshield that goes over the top of that, but at its core, at its essence for the monohull is very much just effectively an airplane wing, but just extended over the size of an entire car. That's, that's the main one. There's also a, one known as a bullet. Um, the bullet vehicles, as the name implies, are bullet-shaped. So they're very, they kind of look like a teardrop. If you took a teardrop and you kind of cut off the rounded parts on the top and bottom, so it's, it's a bullet shape. Um, we don't run that, but the other one that we're going to actually run with our next vehicle, the one we're building now, which is Goddard El Sol 7, it's going to be what is known as a catamaran. And so it literally looks like a catamaran boat where you have your driver sitting on one side of the vehicle um, and you have your battery on the other side and then you just have this big empty space between the two. And that's where the, like, the solar panel is over the top of, top of the whole vehicle and you just have this very thin structural member between the driver and the battery, just like with a regular catamaran. So those are the main three types. And I would... Yeah, I'd say everyone should look them up because they're at least very interesting to look at, at the very least, even if you don't think they're the most cool. They're, they're definitely interesting for sure. Now, I assume these are all one-person vehicles. I also assume that the weight of the person that's piloting it, does that make a difference? Is that something you all look at? That is something we look at. I will say, and I actually, I'm happy you brought up the one person because I forgot about that. There is another class of vehicles within these races, which are multi-occupant vehicles. So they are much more worried about like practicality for like an actual vehicle. And they have, you know, they can have as many people as they want in a vehicle. Those are much more normal car shaped, like what you would imagine a car. But for the single occupant vehicles in terms of driver weight, they, the regulations will ballast drivers up to 180 pounds, I believe. Something like that, maybe 80 kilograms. I'm not entirely sure the weight specific, but if so, like they take all the drivers and they'll ballast them up to that weight. So really in terms of considering how much drivers weigh for us, we want to make sure they're not over the weight that the common ballast would be at because 
that would just be inefficient for us. But most of the time, that's not the case. And these cars are so small. Like, I, I'm too tall. I'm too big to actually get in the car. And I'm 6'2", six, six so I, I don't weigh that much. But it's we have to find drivers, first of all, that can even fit in the vehicle, like get in the cockpit and get in and out. Um, and other than that, we, we, we like to have drivers that are a nice, like, close to the, the ballast weight because we have... You know, if we have very light drivers, we have to have this giant bag of like lead shot ballast that we put in in our car, which can be very tedious. But they they do kind of control that driver weight. I assume uh, batteries, of course, make up part of this. Can you talk a little bit about the batteries? And uh, I guess batteries and solar. I mean, it seems to me. I mean, you know, I talk about this on my podcast. You know, in our house, we have electric cars, so I, I live this on a daily basis. Um, Battery technology has improved over the years a great amount, and solar efficiency and technology has improved a great amount. Can you kind of maybe talk about how that's changed through the years with with the program and 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 all of that? Yeah, I can. I don't know a bunch of specifics, especially about the batteries that they used to use. You know, especially like in the '90s. But nowadays, we use um, lithium-ion batteries because they have high energy density. For us, um, and they're pretty rugged. We can draw a lot of current from them. So we we fuse our motors at 150 amp draw, um, but we have two motors we run. I think last year, the year before us, I know that they only allow a few battery types for the race. I think lithium ion is one. I think lipo is is an allowed amount, like they is an allowed battery. They also have nickel metal hydride batteries and lead acid batteries. We used to use lead acid a long time ago. I think either our second, third vehicles, maybe in the beginning, I think a lot of people use those. Uh, nowadays, we just have them sitting around our garage. They're not used anymore because uh, they're so heavy. <laughs> um, right. But the organizers actually, depending on the battery chemistry you use, they also limit the amount of batteries you can use. So you can't just have as many batteries as you want. And that's another part of that sort of having limited resources and trying to get the most out of that. Um, they do the same thing with the solar cells. So with our solar collector, they limit it to four square meters. Um, and that used to be higher as well. As you said, solar, solar collectors and solar panels are just getting more efficient as the years go by. So they've had to continuously make those smaller. Right now, we use um, silicon-based solar cells. There is gallium arsenide cells are really big. Um, I know a few years ago they were really big, but they're not... I don't even think they allow them anymore because they're very expensive. They're not, they're very efficient. That's true. I think they're part of it was like people would be able to buy their way into because they could just get so many gallium arsenides. And I also think they're a little more unstable to relative to the silicon cells. That's kind of the history. I'm not entirely sure what we used to use for each iteration of our vehicle in terms of solar, solar collector and, and battery. That's not, especially for past our fifth vehicle, that's not something that's really documented well. In our history at the university, the folks that are involved in this, I'm, I'm curious about what you drive. I mean, are you driving an internal combustion engine vehicle, or if you drive, and other folks? I mean, is is there a correlation between you know EV adoption uh, through some of the people involved in this program and being involved in this program? If not, I mean, do you think this will inform their decisions later when when they're looking at purchasing a car? Yeah, I think I think because we're all students, it's we're not as energy conscious, especially relative to, to vehicles. Like we don't have as much of the ability to get those. So 
like electric vehicles are not common. Most people just drive, you know, old used cars. I do think that because like with solar car and it's just an electric vehicle, it definitely has spread awareness for a lot of the people coming in. They might come in just wanting an engineering project to do, but I mean, by the time they're leaving, you've just been working with electric vehicles so much, understanding them that for sure, I think, I mean, I, at least speaking personally, I'm like, I would be very interested in, in committing to an electric vehicle, driving that in the future, because I think you just, you're around an environment that breathes like learning and understanding about that, that you don't get with certain other organizations. And you, you're talking about an environment. Um, is there sort of a culture? I mean, what is it like to be on this team? Is everybody kind of pulling for everybody else? Are there long hours? You know, all that kind yeah. of stuff. What is, what is it like? It, I, I'm a bit biased you know, as a team manager. I've been especially trying to breed that sort of environment. So we have, I think we have a very supportive environment. I think when we do a lot of feedback throughout the year, just to see how people are, how they feel about the team and, and the culture and consistently on the, the responses to, you know, why did you stay with the TMR? The people are awesome and very supportive. So I think because we're all working on this project that is, is very challenging. I mean, you're built, we're built an entire car from scratch, like an electric vehicle. So it's, it's very difficult and it's a very, we have a very supportive environment. I've been trying to foster that supportive environment. People are just generally welcoming for everyone trying to come in, all the new members, which I, like when I came in, that was something that kept me there. It's just, it's a very nice. And in terms of hours, we put in a lot of long hours for sure. Like, I mean, we have tight, we're, we're trying to get a nice small, like two year design cycle would be ideal where we can be producing new cars every two years. And that really like, we have individuals really working on like the suspension or the chassis, the aerodynamics. And so they're putting in very long hours. And I know once manufacturing starts, that requires some serious long hours because you just, I mean, you have to get the car out. And especially with manufacturing where we're like, we build our, our entire vehicle in terms of like, we do layups, so carbon fiber layups for our, our shell. We cut all of the chassis panels and we assemble those ourselves. So I think with manufacturing, especially, it really brings people together and that sort of people putting in long hours. And then you have this product at the end that you've, you've built as a team that really, it brings people together for sure. I mean, they're some of the, my closest friends on that team some people that I am very close to, and it makes me feel like part of a community for sure. And I love that. Now, it can't be cheap. You know, it's got to cost some money to, to do this. So yeah. do you have a sense of where, you know, where is this money coming from? Is it donations? Is it the, the you know, the university? Uh, is it some sort of combination? I mean, how much does it cost to make something like that? It's just, you know, you're talking carbon fiber, you're talking solar panels, yeah. you're talking batteries. And even though you have folks that are doing the work, just the raw materials um, have to be very expensive. Definitely. I can't, I don't have a specific, an exact number on how much these cost. I've heard a lot of numbers thrown out. I mean, part of it is just documentation. It's, you know, Students, especially college students, are not great, especially engineering college students, don't love to write the things down. So it's hard to get an exact number. I would say this at least on in terms of getting the materials. A lot of things we get, the school runs various different events where you can sort of pitch your ideas and they'll give you money. And like there are various organizations through the University of Kentucky that we get money from. And that's where a lot of we have we have some third party donations as well that are very supportive and very helpful. We have people who have been with the team for a very long time. And so they want to see us continue to be strong and grow. I think they, the other thing too is 
it's hard to get a number with, for some of these because I think something that's very, very helpful for us is what we will see is we'll say, okay, we need, say, chassis panels for a vehicle. And so we'll reach out to companies that produce those, that will manufacture them, and we'll ask them if they will donate the chassis panels for our vehicle. And we've been very fortunate to get a lot of big donations for big, expensive materials from from just companies that want to support us and see us see us actually build a vehicle. And that's something that is very fortunate for us. That's, I think, where we get a lot of our donations that are from people donating materials. And that's been very helpful for us. If someone wants to make a financial contribution, is there a range, a typical range uh, that that falls within? I wouldn't say there's a typical range. We really, any donation to our team, especially because we're just a bunch of students, we, we really, really appreciate anyone who donates. I think you can donate through our website if anyone is interested. And I wouldn't say there's a typical range. I know there is there is various tiers. So if you donate over a certain amount of money, you can get a, a decal on our vehicle. We have a bunch of, of decals of our sponsors. So that's that's something I, I can't really think of anything, any specific amounts that people usually give. Okay. And what is the website? It is solarcar.engr.uky.edu. And that is our main website. Now, you know, kind of through a typical year, um, are there milestones? I mean, how many races do you do a year? Uh, I also assume that you you cart this thing on a trailer and show it off at, you know, places. Yeah. I know years ago, and this was before the Model 3 came out, so that was several years ago, with, through Evolve KY, our electric vehicle organization, we drag raced a... <laughs> That's an infamous on the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we drag raced the solar car with a, a, a you know, a Tesla Model S, and yeah. just for you know, it was a fun thing. Yeah, and uh, it made it to our film that that we produced, the Evolve film. So I'm just kind of wondering, you know, how many races um, have you won? Some races, you know, what have been some real highlights as far as marketing and bringing it out and showing it? What kinds of things do you do there? So in terms of races, we. We run, there's a one or two races during the, the summer. So we ha- there's always a, a race called, it's just a track race. It's called Formula Sun Grand Prix. That is every summer. And that's, that's the main race we do. And that is three days of racing. It's eight hours a day. And we're racing purely on solar energy. And with that, every other year, there is something called the American Solar Challenge. And that is a cross-country race. So we race... Last year, we raced about 1,800 miles across the country. We started in Independence, Missouri, and went all the way up to uh, Twin Falls, Idaho, I believe. And it was following the Oregon Trail. So in, in every other year, when you have the American Solar Challenge, the track race is actually something of a qualifier. So you have to qualify first in order to race in the big cross-country race. Um, and so we, have, we won first place, 2021, we, we won first place at the track event which it, it was the first time we've won first place in any of these events in our whole history. So it was very, I feel very fortunate to be on the team at that time and to have been a part of that because it was, I mean, it was making history for the team. And then we went around and we won second place at the American Solar Challenge that was that year, which again, that's, that's the highest we've ever placed in the American Solar Challenge. So we, I was again, very fortunate. 2021 was an awesome year for us. This year we, we got third place in both the track event and the road event. So we have managed to win. I think we are very competitive. And I know in 2019, we got third place as well in the track event. And I think 2011, 
we got second place in the track event. So we've had a history that our current car, Gato del Sol 6, is I would say our most winningest car up to this point. We've, it's very competitive vehicle. You know, you, you see the physical car, uh, but more and more these days you hear about software, like, you know, with Tesla, they yeah. have software updates, you know, they can make their car better over time. What does software, what kind of role does software play in um, a vehicle like this? It's actually fortunate because I was actually the computer science lead before I was a team manager. So I've had a, a good look into the software of the car. Most of the software for our vehicle is, we have, I would say, two main types of software. The main one is control systems. So we write software that will interface with our motor controllers to actually spin our motors, which is quite a, a useful piece of software. Um, they control the lights and a lot of it is getting information if there's like an error state in the vehicle displaying to dashboard like what the error is. So there could be a lost connection or something like that. The control system as well, we have to have a BMS, so a, a battery management system. And we, we code we have a, a BMS that we got off the shelf as Orion BMS, but we also interface with that in our own, with our own software to not turn the car on when it gets readings from the BMS that are bad. And we have to buy regs, turn the car off at various times. So if there's over voltage on a cell or under voltage and things like that. The other piece of software that's the main piece of software is telemetry. So we do a lot of, we have a whole strategy subsystem and this is race strategies. So, you know, if it's slightly cloudy one day, what speed do we go? Or if we go slightly faster today at the beginning, it's going to get cloudy and then we can go slower, et cetera, stuff like that. So we have telemetry software that will interface, that will send out a bunch of data from the vehicle about how performance and just the general status of things, send that to us in a remote location so that we can understand how the car is actually driving and how everything's working. Uh, that, that, that one is very useful. But I, I would say a lot of teams, a lot of solar car teams, at the very least, will have the control systems. And that is where software kind of plays in, is just controlling the vehicle. Yeah, and I mean, it's sort of, we're at an interesting time with electric vehicles in that um, what you all are doing and other universities are doing around the nation, like you said, it's been going on for a long time. But um, the cars that we're seeing, the, the electric cars that we're seeing, look like, quote unquote, normal cars. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but now you have Aptera, um, <laughs> which yeah. is a solar car. And yeah. it has all these specs that are kind of uh, on, on the surface, pretty mind blowing. I think their yeah. um, highest uh, trim is like a thousand miles, you know, on, on mm -hmm. solar. What do you, and, and in addition to that, you're seeing car manufacturers like, uh, like Fisker, you know, doing the solar mm -hmm. roof. And now, uh, you know, Toyota's mentioned their, you know, their new Prius is going to have a solar roof. And mm -hmm. uh, these kinds of things are becoming a lot more commonplace. Um, I guess, what do you, what, what do you think other folks on your team think about something like, I mean, Aptera, which is like this three-wheeled, very futuristic looking vehicle. Um, I think some people would think, is this thing ever going to be on the roads? Um, mm -hmm. You know, especially with SUVs and all these big cars we have on the roads now. Right. Um, what, are you, what are your th thoughts, you know, as far as, I mean, did the work that you all are doing through these programs um, kind of influence that? I think for Aptera especially, I would say 100%. You look at... You can just look at the, the design of the Aptera vehicle and like look at 
a solar vehicle and you can see some major similarities. I mean, I, I think it would be hard for them to, especially in the design, to not be like, okay, let's look at people who have done this previously who have built solar powered vehicles and see, again, hyper-efficient vehicle shape and how they handle all this stuff. So I think Aptera definitely has has had inspiration from solar-powered vehicles and their design. I think for Aptera, because Aptera is an interesting case because it's really, I mean, it's the only solar-powered vehicle that seems to be, like, serious, like they are actually close to pushing it out and having it on the roads. I think a lot of people bring up solar-powered vehicles and whether they think that would be that is like the future, uh, and I think I think it's a it's definitely a challenge, especially for cars that are driving a lot. And I I don't know if we'll see main people's main vehicles being solar powered. I think that there are a lot of challenges associated with that that it's hard to overcome. But what's good about solar power, and you were mentioning like Toyota and having solar panels somewhere, is like you can use that to run electronics on the vehicle that are just self running. They do not require gasoline do not require any sort of support from the main engine of the car, which I think that I can see being a very, like, used just in general for support. I can see it also being as an auxiliary thing, especially for some of the electric vehicles, having an auxiliary solar panel that is charging your vehicle or just, you know, in terms of range, so you're like, okay, having the ability to get that a little extra bit if you need to. I think for Aptera, what I can see solar power vehicles definitely filling is a vehicle that is almost a secondary vehicle for people. I mean, there are a lot of people that they don't need to drive their vehicle a thousand miles all the time. They're driving, they have short commutes, they're driving a couple miles, tens of miles, not not super far, just driving around and then coming back and then working. And I think a lot of, for like work vehicles especially, you have a vehicle that you can just drive to work, leave it out, let it charge while you're at work, drive it home, drive to the store, and it's it's completely self-sustaining. You just it, you would just never need to fill up. And it's like you're not driving it so much that you're constantly draining. And you're also not driving it in very adverse conditions. So it doesn't require a lot of upkeep or, you know, in terms of safety, it's not as big of a deal because it's it's generally mild driving. And I definitely see solar-powered vehicles filling that sort of niche in in the electric vehicle market. Yeah, I mean... Personally, you know, with with our electric vehicle group, Evolve KY, I talk about that a lot because we get a lot of inquiries from people that are brand new to all of this. And I always tell people, you know, look at your driving habits, because Mm -hmm. uh, especially with COVID, I mean, my wife and myself and my son, we hardly drive at all, um, really, lately. And, um, I mean, I have a 2011 Nissan Leaf and that suits my, it's my daily driver. It suits me Mm -hmm. just fine. And that has a tiny solar panel on the spoiler. Uh, I think it's like, (laughs) I think it's like five volts or something, but, um, yeah. And, and I think that, um, it's just like the, the interplay between solar and EVs has always been intriguing. I mean, you know, again, going back to 2010, 2011, um, they were having that conversation because you're talking about EVs, then all of a sudden you start thinking, well, solar could benefit this. They could benefit in a, in a small way or a big way. So that's that's super interesting. And I know that the Aptera will have the ability to charge, traditionally charge. Do, do your solar vehicles have that as well in case you need to emergency, quote unquote, emergency charge? Or um, do you have the ability to plug in as well? Yeah, so... Our solar car, its general makeup is that we just have a big battery 
that connects directly to our motors. And the solar panel has a, a separate um, voltage line that it'll actually charge the battery through. So we can effectively unplug that line, plug in our own charger and just charge it as you would any other vehicle. And in fact, that's what most, that's what a lot of teams will do. Honestly, I would say every team, especially before the race. So like right before you're about to race, you want to charge your battery up to 100% effectively so that once you get started, you have as, as much energy as you can. So we do that. It's We definitely can charge just from the wall. We have a, our own charger that we've that we built that we've been using for a long time that we just connect directly to the battery pack and charge it up. Now, for these races, how many teams are we talking about? That really depends. I feel like... So again, I mentioned a qualifying race and then the, the road race. For the qualifying race, you can see 20 teams. You can see, I mean, there's a good amount of teams. I, I, couldn't, I can't remember specifically, but I, I feel like 20 is a good number, somewhere between 10 and 20, like teens to 20 to maybe a little more than 20. Those are teams that they have put their paperwork in and they've been approved to come to the race. And then at the race, you have to go through what is known as scrutineering. So it's, it's like a few days of a bunch of qualified engineers will just inspect your vehicle, ask you questions. And there's dynamic scrutineering where you have to like wet brake test to prove that you're able to brake quickly without veering, without, you know, actual trouble, uh, various things like that. And so that cuts a good amount of people out already because it's hard to qualify. I mean, again, you're building a vehicle from scratch, so it's hard to make sure that these things are correct. And then after that, you have to do a certain number of laps at the during the track race to actually qualify your vehicle to go to the road race. And that, that cuts a lot of other people out of the running, I would say, at that point. Um, and by the time you get to the the road race, you have probably like six, last, last year at least, we had about six single occupant vehicle competitors. And I think there were maybe four multi-occupant vehicles. So the multi-occupant vehicle or MOV, those are the ones that effectively look like regular cars with solar panels on them. And they, they have, we don't actually compete against them. They have their own class. They compete among themselves. And it's a very different type of competition. It's much more about practicality. And they can actually wall charge at various times without penalty. We're not allowed to at the single occupant vehicle class. But that's the general makeup. In turn. There, there's not a, a ton of people at these road races because it's hard to even just to get there because you have to qualify. So Now, is it all undergrad or undergrad and grad students? I mean, what is the what does that look like? It is primarily undergrad students. We actually had a member of, on our team who was he was getting his PhD, and I think he he was on the team for about ten years total. He joined when he was just starting in undergrad, so he was our only graduate student on the team, and he was very helpful. For it, it's nice to have graduate students that have been there for a long time because you have a knowledge base that. It just, at the very least, knows the history of the vehicle and knows some of the pitfalls and all that. We have one other grad student who's on the team now. He was our previous electrical lead, and he, he doesn't he's not super active, but he'll come and provide insight, and he's still kind of active, and that's, that's very helpful, but it's very much an undergraduate engineering uh, project at its core. And I know not all teams are like that. I know there are plenty of teams that their faculty are very involved. So they have professors that are very involved in helping them engineer and graduate students that are very involved. But just for us, it's very much undergraduates building everything. Now you were talking, I'm just kind of backing up a little bit. You were talking about um, brakes. Mm -hmm. Are we talking um, regenerative braking? That kind of would make sense or, or no? Yeah, so we definitely use regenerative braking 100%. Okay. That is not allowed to be our main source of braking. 
because it's just not powerful enough the way we are using it. Um, so we also have regular hydraulic brakes and those are the ones that are tested in during the scrutineering is the hydraulic brakes. We do use regenerative braking for a lot of things just because again, it's about efficiency. So you, you're trying to get as much efficiency from this vehicle as you can. So if you're not using regenerative braking, you're putting yourself at a large disadvantage relative to the people who are. It's a really exciting time for electric vehicles. I mean, are the, the folks that are going through this program, um, what are their aspirations? I'm assuming that uh, if they're interested in something in the electric vehicle field, that there's going to be plenty for them to choose from, <laughs> um, especially yeah. since so much is happening in, in like the, the middle of the country right now. And so many things are starting to happen here in the U.S. right now. Is that, is that, are, are you and other folks thinking of that, um, or is it just engineering and, and all of that in a broader sense? I think for a lot of people, especially when they come in, it is just engineering. I think there, there is a pretty large subset of people within the solar car team that definitely want to go into the automotive industry. I mean, you, you don't, I'd say you don't join a, a car, any, any team that's building a vehicle without having some interest in vehicles at all. So I know at that last race, actually, they had Tesla was there recruiting directly. So they were talking to all the teams during the race. And Tesla has a, definitely an interest in recruiting for people. And I know there's a lot of people on our team that would love to work for Tesla and a lot of people that are generally interested in working for electric vehicles. We also actually had Blue Origin was also at the last solar car race. So I think it's just a great engineering project and you really have to develop so many things that even though we are building a vehicle and a lot of it applies to that, a lot of it also just applies to general engineering. And so a lot of people do look for just general engineering. I know aerospace is a big thing from coming from people on our team wanting to do that. And automotive, of course, as you said, is, is very big, so. Kind of looking to the future. I mean, what do you see happening uh, in the next, you know, maybe three to five years or even further out, you know, with, with this program? I would like to see us sort of be able to get into a consistent design cycle in terms of getting a new car designed every few years and just having a more well-established organization. I've been working a lot with that as, as the team manager is really just trying to get us into a very organized engineering hierarchy just so that we can kind of understand responsibilities and we have we're utilizing the people who are there in the way that we the best way we can and I'd like to see that sort of continue and I'd really like to try to establish you know as I'm as I'm the manager try to establish a, a solid design philosophy and sort of just documentation and really helpful I would love to see three to five years from now that we have you know, we're able to produce a car in two years. You know, that's just something we do is that Kentucky is able to get a car, a new car designed every two years. That That's the main thing. I mean, of course, I would love for us to win the American Solar Challenge like that. That is there's a, a not there's a select group of, of schools that have been able to do that. I mean, there are some very dominant schools that have won a lot. And I would just I think seeing Kentucky, which is not a, a, a school that most people would think, oh, they're, you know, crazy engineering but seeing us win this national competition against people like MIT and these really good schools would be, would be amazing. So great. Well, I of course wish you the best of luck with all of that. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, anything else that you wanted to add that I didn't touch on or. I don't think so. I think this is a pretty, 
a pretty wide and in-depth discussion. Yeah, good. No, and so folks can go to the website. I assume uh, you're on social media, and they would find you just by searching on on you know Facebook and Instagram and all of that. Yeah, if you look up UK Solar Car, you should okay. see us, um, or even just Kentucky Solar Car would probably get you there as well. Okay, and we'll also add that in the description as well. But oh, uh, thank you. Th- yeah, thank you for uh, you know after the holiday and everything. Thank you for taking <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, a few minutes to talk because uh, I, I I've been aware of the program for a long time and you you all are doing some great work so uh, I, I keep it yeah keep it up and uh, really appreciate it yeah it was nice talking to you I had a lot of fun it's nice to talk about these sort of things yeah same here thank you for listening to this episode of Stu's EV Universe I would like to thank Eden Unger for creating the artwork and the music for this episode. Remember, please rate, review, subscribe, and share, as that's the only way we can continue to grow. Now you can support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash EVU. Remember, the EV revolution runs on your energy. I'm Stuart Unger. See you next time.